Okay, this morning um, we are going to have, and many of you are well aware of the question and answer format we do. Um, very briefly, we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask questions, anything you want to ask about the Holy Spirit. Wes and Everton are at the back, so if you'd like a card to write out your question, please raise your hand. They will bring you a card, and I see that we have several, so I appreciate their help in doing that. Let me just uh, briefly talk about and mention the Holy Spirit while these first questions are coming up. I believe the Holy Spirit is probably, as we as Christians worship God, uh, I believe most Christians, and this doesn't be true of everyone, but it is true of many, that most Christians are well aware of God the Father. They can tell you things about God the Father. They're certainly aware, aware of God the Son, that is, Jesus, and they know a lot about Him. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why all of that is, but the Holy Spirit becomes sort of a mystical um, person, uh, a mystical member of the Godhead, if you will, and really just don't know a lot about him. Some of the statements that are made are confusing to people. There are many doctrines out there, and I won't go off on a tangent on that, but you can feel free to ask about other beliefs about the Holy Spirit. Um, but there are many doctrines that I think lend themselves to confusing people further about the Holy Spirit. And so when we... When people talk about the Holy Spirit, there's just a lot of questions. And there's not as much certainty as there would be, for example, about God the Father or about Jesus. And so I've fielded over the last year or so several questions from individuals about the Holy Spirit. And I thought, you know what, if, if, there, is this, if there are this many questions floating around, why don't I just do one of these sessions on that? So anyone got a question they want to go ahead and hand in, raise your hand. They will bring them up, and I will get started with those, and I'll answer as many as I can, um, and, and as I get to them. All right, thank you, sir. And let's see if I remember how to do this. I'm, Wes, is that as big as it'll go? Huh? And where do I do that? doing that. Let me go ahead and uh, just get into them. When we become Christians, God put his spirit in us, and what form did he put him? Or in what form did he put him? And question number two is, how can he that is in us greater than he that is in the world while we are often or sometimes uh, defeated by sin? Those are good questions. Let me take them one at a time. Thank you. Um, first of all, when God puts the Holy Spirit in us, I believe it is the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Ephesians, if you will. And what we understand from Scripture, we see a number of times, about a dozen times, the New Testament will talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is, God has given us the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter doesn't put any qualifier on that when he says the Holy Spirit has been given to all those who obey God in Acts 5.32. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13, well, start in verse 12. People who trust in Christ, and this would be the idea of obeying the gospel. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed. That word sealed there is marked with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest 
like a guarantee. Some people say a down payment of our inheritance. If you'll turn a page over, we are sealed, incidentally, marked unto the praise of Jesus' glory there. Turn a page over or so to chapter 4 and verse 30 and notice, and this question, the second question, when it talks about how can he that is in us be greater than he that is in the world if we've been defeated by sin? Well, literally what the Bible speaks of is this. The Holy Spirit should become, because he is in you and has been given to you and will be, verse 30, you will be marked with him until the day of redemption. That should be a deterrent to sin. But it's not always. And when it is not, the Holy Spirit is grieved by that. The Holy Spirit, we may talk more about this as questions come, but the Holy Spirit becomes the one living in you, literally with you, 24 hours a day, and becomes the greatest witness to whether or not you are a Christian and you are going to go to heaven. And so, yes, even though you are defeated at times by sin, the Holy Spirit will be in in you. Uh, I may come back and answer more about that. But it says, can you, explain, can you explain the difference between the Holy Spirit indwelling the Christian, literally, and Him indwelling the Christian simply through the Word? How can one justify one view or the other? That's a great question, and I hope you can see that. I hope you can see that. Do what? Zoom in. Okay. I don't know. I, I'm technologically challenged, people. Okay. Is that good? Keep going. Good. All right. Beautiful. All right. So, what was the question? Now I forgot. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. The literal indwelling. All right. Can you explain the difference in the indwelling and indwelling by... If you're still in Ephesians, look at chapter 5 for a moment briefly when he says in verse 17, Be not un- unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled. Now, this is a commandment for you and I to be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives you uh, a number of participles here, or in other words, a number of phrases to tell you how to be filled with the Spirit. One would be, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so forth. And there would be other verses we could turn to for that. Here's the point. There is a commandment to be filled with the Spirit. That's not something that God does for you. That's something you have to do for yourself. You have to understand the will of the Lord. You have to be filled with the Word. That's a commandment you either obey or you don't. Now, that is quite different from the Bible talking about, for example, starting in Acts 2 that Anietti read for us. And verse 38, when you're baptized, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. We have been all made to drink into that one Spirit. By one Spirit are we baptized into one body. These are actions that God takes. And so that's something that happens, for lack of a better term, automatically when you obey the Gospel. But whether or not you, are, you go on to grow and you're filled with the Word of God is up to you. And that's a command, but it doesn't just automatically happen. All right? When you, when you, uh, no. When your mind tells you to do something, is that the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And how do I know when the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? Great question. When your mind is telling you to do something, is that the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I would say that is your conscience 
your mind speaking to you. However, if you are studying the Word of God, if you are listening to Scripture, etc., then your mind is definitely affected by the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is speaking or when some other spirit, the devil, is speaking or whatever? You know by Scripture. And again, that's where you have to go back and you have to, 1 John 4, try the Spirit, test the Spirit. I have my mind speaking to me all the time. So do you. How do I know if that's coming from God? I check it against what the Bible says. How do I know if that's not coming from God? I check it against what the Bible says. I meant to put that question up there. I did not, but let me leave it up there um, uh, while I read the next question. Sorry about that. I'll get the hang of it, I hope. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and can you lose the Holy Spirit? Obviously, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is, is multi-varied because the Holy Spirit is God. Um, there are two, two main purposes of the Holy Spirit that are involved in our lives today. And that might come under the heading of illumination. The Holy Spirit is responsible for giving us the light, and he does that through the Word, through the Bible. Not miraculously or anything like that, but through the Word of God. But secondly, there is also the indwelling. And there are many reasons why the Holy Spirit would indwell a person. We read one in Ephesians 1. We might look at Romans 8 and see that the union of the Spirit and our body, our body which is a temple, gives us spiritual life. We might look later in Romans 8 and see the idea of the Holy Spirit serving as a daily or a 24-hour-a-day witness as to where we stand with God. And so the idea of the Holy Spirit being with us every day, that's the purpose, to make intercession for us in ways that we can't even utter, we can't even speak. But God searches the mind of the Spirit. All right. Then this question, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm not sure. I think I know what's being asked here. I'm not sure if the question is miraculous gifts. And I'll just simply say this. If you want a list of the miraculous gifts, go to 1 Corinthians 12. Look at the opening uh, 13 verses there, especially verses 7, I think, through 13, or 8 through 13. You might also see it in passages like, the end of Mark 16, these signs would follow them, etc. But if we are talking about Acts 2.38, when you are baptized for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift, not plural, but gift of the Holy Spirit, I believe that's the Holy Spirit himself that's being given, as we talked about from Ephesians 1. Why does the Holy Spirit not feel as personal to me as it should be, and how can I change that? Well, that's a good question. How do, why does the Holy Spirit not feel as personal to me, as, and I would say as He should be? And that is because even though the Holy Spirit dwells in me from the time of my obedience to the gospel, doesn't mean I grow close to Him. It doesn't mean I grow close to God. It means that I realized I had sin and I realized the need to be baptized for forgiveness of them, but my relationship with God develops as I grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I get closer and more personal with not just the Holy Spirit, but the Father and the Son as I do that. And so that's, that would be the only reason I would know why. 
All right, John 14. Let's go over to John for a moment. John 14, verse 26, describes the Holy Spirit as a comforter that was sent uh, as a messenger to his disciples. The Holy Spirit is said to be a member of God, uh, the Godhead, as a personality. If the Holy Spirit is a God, does it mean we have three gods um, whereby a God sent another God as a comforter? How can I defend it as the Holy Spirit is not an active force of God? And uh, uh, of God, the Jehovah. Okay, so kind of a, a detailed question there. That helps? No, wrong direction. Kind of a detailed question there, but uh, <laughs> I guess you got to put it in the shadow to get it on there. All right, kind of a detailed question. All right, John 14, verse 26. If you look at it briefly, here is Jesus in a nutshell in several passages in 14, 15, and 16 saying he was going back to heaven, but he would then, and John 15, the Father, he would ask the Father, and the Father would send the Holy Spirit to the earth. Now, <clears throat> first of all, are there three gods? No. There is one God. The Bible would teach us uh, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God is one Lord. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8, and verse 4, maybe, 4 through 7, right in there, there is but one God. So, no, they're not three gods. That is not one God sending another God. It is the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their interaction, their working. It is one person of the Godhead, of the one God, being sent, being asked, and being sent by another person of the Godhead. And, and as far as the last part of it, how to defend that the Holy Spirit is not just an active force, well, he's a separate and distinct person. Very briefly, i uh, just give you one picture real quick. Look at Matthew chapter 3 and the baptism of Jesus. In the baptism of Jesus, Jesus comes and is baptized by John. He comes up out of the water. That is Jesus, the Son of God. The Father, another person of the Godhead, speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son. The Holy Spirit, yet another separate person, lights upon Jesus in a form like a dove. There are many passages in the Bible that show the three. Um, Jesus, again, in Luke 4, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of the Lord, the Father, was upon me, the Son. Many passages like that would show the distinction between the three. All right, does the Holy Spirit have the ability to forgive sins? Good question, and there's a simple answer. God has the ability to forgive sins. Only God. Um, the Jews recognized that. In Mark 4, is it, when they dug the hole in the roof, they let the boy down, Jesus healed him. But then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Or he said it first. Your sins are forgiven. Nobody has the right to forgive sins, they said, but God. And that's right. But who forgives sins? God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a big plan there's a, there are details to how that comes about, but God forgives sins. So, if you want to say, is the Holy Spirit part of that? Of course, He is part of that. All right. Um, do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Do you give thanks to the Holy Spirit? Um, ask because the Holy Spirit is God or one of the Godhead. Do you pray to the Holy Spirit directly? No. Neither do you pray to Jesus directly. You pray to the Father. 
And the Bible's explicit about that. If we were to look, for example, at 1 Timothy 2, and you may look over there, and look at verses 1 through 5, we pray to the Father. All the examples you see, even Jesus, when they said, teach us to pray, our Father. The prayer is to the Father, and it is through Jesus, because there is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So there is only one to whom we pray, there is only one through whom we pray. We don't pray through Mary, and we don't pray through the Holy Spirit. We pray through Jesus to the Father. Now, the question is also asked, do we give thanks to the Holy Spirit in the form of prayer, directly? No. But we are also commanded to sing and to give thanksgiving in our songs. And in that, you would express appreciation to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, what are the duties or the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our being Christians and non-Christians? If one, if one is not a Christian, then the duty of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit, or however you want to phrase that, has to do with um, one becoming a Christian. The Holy Spirit is operating, and I would say primarily and certainly not separately from the Bible. We have to, Our heart has to be opened by the Word of God, and we have to attend to it. And that would be the example we're given. The Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Go back with me. Whoops, that was bad. Go back with me, and while you're turning to Romans 8, I'll pick these cards up. But in Romans 8, I said we might come back to it. I thought a question might be asked. Now, certainly the Holy Spirit is within us. I believe literally dwelling in the Christian. Let me just read a short passage here, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmity, our infirmities, the King James said. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, and it should be Himself. Pronouns are personal. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And He, and this would be the Father, we could establish that elsewhere. He that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints According to God, literally, in the original. What's happening here, to put it in simple language? The Holy Spirit is in you, living with you, daily, 24 hours a day. The Holy Spirit is your character witness. He knows who you are, what you are, where you are spiritually. He knows exactly what's going on. You pray, but you don't always know what to pray or how to pray. You don't know how to express exactly what you need. You're not aware of that always, and neither am I. The Holy Spirit is. God the Father searches your heart, He tries you, He tests you, but He also takes into account the intercession, which means to speak in behalf of someone else. They are speaking in a divine language or communication, and that's why Paul says it like it it does. It's not like English being spoken, it's in a language or in a communication we don't understand. But if that's all the Holy Spirit did, man, that'd be enough. That'd be a great amount. If I know the Holy Spirit is with me every day, doing that in my behalf, talking with God the Father about my needs, my infirmities, etc., and witnessing for me, that's a lot. And so certainly that is a daily relationship. We know the Holy Spirit directs our spiritual activities. Does He also direct our physical, our non-church activities as well? I'm going to answer that like this. He directs our spiritual activities certainly and our everyday activities or physical or whatever, secular, um, through the Word of God. 
the principles are there. We are to look and see what God wants us to do and to know and so forth and apply that accordingly. Now, the question also says, does he, does he direct these things? Yes, in the sense of providence. The Holy Spirit is divine. He is of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the sense of providentially providing for you, help to direct you in the way you're needing to go. Um, I do believe in providence. I believe things happen, that God is active in our life. He intervenes in our life. And that would be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Let's see. Should we worship the Spirit? I love this question. (laughs) Song 929, verse 3. Father, we love you. Then in verse 3, of course, Spirit, we love you, we worship you. Should we sing this verse? Let me answer this uh, in, in the way that I, I feel about it. Absolutely, teetotally, yes. You should sing this verse. And you should worship the Holy Spirit. God, we are told to worship God throughout the Bible. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yes, He should be worshipped. Um, question one, what is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit now, today? I really think I answered that in Romans 8. Um, the Holy Spirit is no longer revealing new scripture and that kind of thing, although he is still enlightening us through what is written. But he is working and active in our lives every day. He inhabits the Christian. The Christian's body becomes a temple. Um, he is making intercession, etc. So he's doing all of those things today. Okay. Hope I can get to all of these. So I figured we would have a lot of questions and and you guys are not letting me down. So question number two, how does the Holy Spirit manifest himself? And three, what was the responsibility of the Holy Spirit in the creation process? Great question. Number two, how does he manifest himself? Well, manifest means to make clear. And I think that there are two ways. One, he certainly manifests himself in the word that is delivered. We recognize the divine mind and so forth behind that. That's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 2. I'm not sure that's what's being asked here, though. So the idea would be, how can, I be, how can it be made clear to me that the Holy Spirit is here today, right now, in me, with me, etc.? By Scripture. And I, I don't mean to belittle that when I say it like that. God is telling you it is a fact. Can you see it? No. And, and I'm, I don't mean the Holy Spirit. Can you see the Holy Spirit? No. Can you feel the Holy Spirit? No. Can you watch something that's happening and say, wow, look at the Holy Spirit over there doing that? No. But it is a fact, and God is telling you that. Just as much as God is telling you for a fact in Genesis chapter 1, that the Spirit moved upon the waters, but then comes back and tells you in John 1 and Colossians 1 that it was Jesus who was the Creator. Um, Did He use the Holy Spirit, employ the Holy Spirit? Was the Holy Spirit active in the creation process? Absolutely. And that's what Scripture is showing us and telling us. Okay. Um, In what mode of communication does the Holy Spirit communicate? And are all of the prophetic gifts um, still in our present use? Question number one, in what mode of communication, as I've said many times, through the Word of God? Now, the communication between Him and the Father, that's different, but I think this is um, directed at how He communicates to us. So again through Scripture, and through you being able to reason of providential things that are happening. And the second question, uh, the prophetic gifts, are they still in use today? No. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, whether there be prophecies, they shall cease, tongues, they will end, etc. The prophetic gifts of the gifts of the Spirit were temporary, and verse 10 tells you that is when that which, the Bible, that which is perfect, is come. Um, is the Holy Spirit something that you feel? I'll answer that quickly. I've said already, no, it is not something you can feel. How does one know they've received the Holy Spirit? Because God tells you you have, if you have obeyed the gospel. And that's what you have to question. Did I obey the gospel as God tells me to obey? If I did, he said I have the Holy Spirit. I should have answered this question earlier. Glad somebody asked this again. Can one, quote, lose the Holy Spirit for any reason? In the Old Testament, one could. David, you may remember, Psalm 51, I believe it is, pray that God not take the Spirit from him. In the New Testament, very clearly, turn back to Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, verse 14 in particular, and Ephesians 4 and verse 30, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you till the day of judgment, till the day of redemption. You cannot lose the Holy Spirit. No matter how sinful you become, you can grieve him mightily, but you cannot lose him until that day. And that day when you go into hell, he will not follow or go with you there, so you will lose him. And I, and I mean that seriously. That is when God tells us that we are removed from his presence. I don't know what that all means or entails, but it's a scary thing. Can one get into heaven without the Holy Spirit? No, one cannot get into heaven without the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that. In Acts 2.38, Peter said, After repentance and baptism, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, are these gifts limited to Christians in those days, or do we still have them? He is not talking about spiritual gifts. In fact, you'll notice the word is not plural in Acts 2.38. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I hope I can get to them all. Okay. Are these, uh, so it's not, it's not plural. These are not gifts. It is literally the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Well, a number of other verses. Acts 5, turn there and look at verse 32. Peter says, when questioned by the council, we are his witnesses. That is, we the apostles are his witnesses. And so is also the Holy Spirit whom God, notice, whom God has given to all those who obey him. And then it speaks throughout the New Testament about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, that the idea being, those are not gifts that uh, are given to us. And, so, and, and we've already said the gifts ended, so we don't have gifts today. Um, what is the Holy Spirit and why do we get it? We've answered this, but let's answer it again, because it bears repeating. He is God. He is one of the three persons who themselves are one God. And why do we get the Holy Spirit? Because God gives the Holy Spirit to us to make us spiritually alive, to make our bodies a temple inhabited by the presence of God, to be that witness on a daily basis, and on and on. In Acts 2.38, no, I just read that one. I didn't put it in the right pile. Okay. When you commit a sin, does the Holy Spirit leave you? And if so, does that mean you no longer, you're no longer a Christian at that time he leaves you? Uh, very quickly, let me say this again. Holy Spirit is going to be with you till Judgment Day. Those passages in Ephesians show that. Um, you will never stop being a Christian, meaning a child of God. You will never cease to be a child of God as long as you live, and not even after, if you die and you are lost, 
You will still be a child of God because you have been made a child of God at your obedience. doesn't mean you're going to be saved necessarily. But you cannot stop being his child. And that's why, for example, you have to be baptized to become a child of God, but you have to pray and ask for forgiveness to become faithful again once you have sinned. It's different. That's because you don't stop being a child of God. In this diagram, and there is a diagram here, would one say the Father sent the Holy Spirit who is a messenger of the Godhead note? God sent the Holy Spirit as a comforter. It means the Holy Spirit left and it remained... And uh, Oh, okay. Let me, I, I think I know what's being asked here. Okay. The God sent the Holy Spirit as a comforter. It means the Holy Spirit left and uh, it remains Father and Son. So what is a reply to Jehovah's Witnesses on this? Well, much. But let's say it like this. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all God, regardless of where they are. The Father has never left heaven. Scripture never shows that, or that He ever will. Even on Judgment Day, He will still be in heaven. 1 Peter 3.18, Jesus will bring us to God. Um, The Son obviously left heaven and came to earth, went to Hades, rose from Hades, came back to earth, and went back to heaven. In all those places, regardless of where he was, he is God. The Holy Spirit at times came to earth. He inhabited the temple in the Old Testament. We see his presence there and that Shekinah glory cloud, etc. But we see him, more importantly, in answer to the Jehovah's Witnesses, we see him being God. Let me give you one quick, and I don't really have time to turn there, but you can jot these down. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 will say, The Lord said, or Jehovah said, and it will talk about I'll make a new covenant with them, etc. You turn over to Hebrews 10, and it ought to be around verses 15, 16, 17. That is quoted. Now listen to me carefully. In the Old Testament, the Lord, Jehovah said, when it's quoted in Hebrews 10, specifically the writer says, the Holy Spirit said. There are passages like that in the Bible where in the Old Testament, for example, it might say God or Jehovah or the Lord. But the New Testament, the writers will say the Holy Spirit said, meaning he is God. And I would reply with those kinds of things and a number of others in a detailed study, if one would sit down and study it, who does not believe the Holy Spirit is a divine person and a member of the Godhead. Last couple of questions. When does it mean the Bible says grieve not the Holy Spirit. What makes the Holy Spirit different or special in the membership of the Godhead? Well, obviously, we could show easily God is grieved over sin, Genesis 6, verse 5. Jesus is grieved over sin in Luke. Oh, thank you very much. It pays to have a helper. Um, In in Luke, uh, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, so obviously he's grieved. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, the Holy Spirit grieves over our sin. What makes him different? He's with you. He's in you. Every fornication that you commit, every lie you tell, everything you steal, every time you cheat on your taxes, every time you're mean to your brother or sister in Christ, he's right there. You're you're taking him into every sin you commit, and that would fill one with grief. He is not separate from it because he is not separate from you. Last question. You say the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. Yes, Paul says so in Romans 8. Explain the difference between the intercession and mediator, since Jesus is our mediator. Beautiful question, a great one to end on. 
Intercession, you and I can speak to God. We can intercede or give intercession for someone else. All that simply means is to ask on another person's behalf. Both Jesus and the Holy Spirit do that on our spiritual behalf. Romans chapter 8 shows that. In fact, says it for both of them. The whole, uh, Jesus is a mediator, and that is different because Jesus is not speaking just on our behalf. He does speak on our behalf, but it's not just that. He is the mediator, meaning he's the go-between. For a full explanation of that, I'd read Job uh, chapter 9, is it? I believe it is Job 9. But it describes there the inability of man to reach God. Uh, look up the word days man in the King James if it's not Job 9, but I think it is. But if you look at what's being described there, there's an inability to reach God because God is God and I'm a human being and there's this great separation between us. But Jesus is both. And so if Jesus is both fully God and fully human, then he's right there in the middle. He can reach, lay hands on both sides. He can touch both sides. He can talk. It's just like if you had to have someone mediate between you and someone else, you would want someone who can be sympathetic to both sides, not simply take one side or the other. So Jesus is the only one. And that's why 1 Timothy 2, 5 says it like that. One mediator between God and men, the man, which is human, Christ, which has to be divine according to the passages about the Christ, the man, Christ, Jesus. And that's why Jesus alone is mediator. It's why Mary can't be a mediator. She's not God. It's why the Holy Spirit can't be a mediator. He's not human. But Jesus is both. Okay, great questions. Uh, I'm always amazed at the abundance of questions we get and the wide variety of questions. You guys are great at this. So thank you very much. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, if you're not a Christian like we talked about a moment ago, certainly you do not have the Holy Spirit working with you and for you every day. But even more than that, you do not have the salvation of Jesus Christ. You don't have your sins forgiven. You are not going to heaven when you die. And yet you can't. We say all of these things and we show all of this to show the great length to which God has gone to communicate with us, to provide all the help we need every day if we want to be saved. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll confess that belief like they did in Pentecost as we started with that scripture reading. If you'll repent like Peter told them to do and be baptized, your sins will be forgiven. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. If, you're, if you've done that, and there were several questions talking about being defeated by sin and sin overcoming you. You're still a child of God. You still have the right as a child of God to appeal to the Father through Jesus. The Holy Spirit is right there watching every move you make, speaking in your behalf. If you want to come to God, I hear people say often, I've done so much I could never come to God. Who told you that lie? God never did. The Holy Spirit is looking in your heart. The Father is searching your heart. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be right with God? No matter what you've done, you can be. Please come while we stand and sing.